The thumbs up. I should just pay attention. Well, I shouldn't. Uh... All right, good people. Oh, let me not yell. I get excited and I yell. Good morning. But I don't want to whisper either, right? That's always weird. Hello. It's like, what's going on? Uh, so my name is Chris. I have the honor of giving the message today. And um, oh, look at that before I even say anything. Thanks, Val. Good looking out. So uh, I get, uh, I'm talking about uh, the passage in Hebrews 3 um, where it says that Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, but before I get into that, what I want to do is, is talk a little bit about where we are in the summer series. And so uh, in our summer series, uh, we've been in the book of Hebrews. And uh, the, the author is a person uh, known as the preacher. And, and we've learned a lot of important things thus far. Uh, we've learned about Jesus' relationship to angels, uh, about uh, family and our place in God's family. We've looked at how Hebrews wrestles with the big picture of Scripture and Jesus' place in it. Uh, so I highly encourage you all to listen to the messages that have come before. All right, you can find them, find them online. Uh, something I've heard, and I really uh, believe to be true, uh, is that context is really key uh, whenever it comes to, to reading the Bible. And that's true with anything. But I think it's especially true uh, with the Bible. So if, I were to, so if I were to say to you all, 65 toss, power trap, or 13 seconds, I suspect many of you will be quite confused. Say, hey, Chris, what? okay, somebody pulled his brother aside. What's going on with him today, right? Um, if I were to say this in my hometown of Kansas City, Missouri, I would likely get a very different response. As both of these phrases have to do with triumphs of the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL playoffs. One from the fourth Super Bowl, one from more recent history. Context, right? Our audience. I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Hold on. Let me, let me read through my notes. So, so now imagine I say the following to you. April 2nd, 2022. Followed by Franklin Street. 8177. Oh, some of y'all, I'm hurting some feelings here, aren't I? <laughs> Coach K's last game. Now, by the time I said maybe the second thing, y'all like, oh, Chris, I know what you're talking about. All right, so uh, maybe some of you still don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, I'm referring to UNC besting Duke in the Final Four, something I had the privilege of watching in that theater. I thought I wrote these notes as if we were in the other theater. In that other theater, um, 15 months ago today. So basketball is beloved by many in the Tar Heel State. Oh, oh, look, see, look, all right, all right, all right. Um, although Duke people are welcome too, right? We don't draw the lines of grace around, let me stop. So seemingly, so seemingly obscure references, okay, to dates and places and names are really not that obscure at all, right? So something I learned as a youngster uh, when I took part in debate club, yes, you probably aren't, maybe you all aren't surprised to, to see me, right? I had my little tie and I had a little briefcase and I got to argue with people about stuff. It was a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things I learned is that you have to know your audience. Okay, And so for us in the 21st century, reading the book of Hebrews, uh, it's important uh, that we have a sense of the audience, right? Who is Hebrews being written to? Right? Who's the audience for this book? So although we don't know precisely who it was written to, unlike Ephesians, for example, okay, uh, the Bible Project tells us that it is written to a people of faith, and the author assumes they have a thorough understanding of the stories of the Old Testament. So it's likely an audience of Jewish Christians, which also the name kind of gives, they suggest that as well, okay, Hebrews. Uh, so importantly, the people of faith are experiencing a time of difficulty, of duress, 
persecution is an appropriate word to employ as well. So that's all that is to motivate. Uh, I don't know if this is up here or not. I didn't send in the scripture, but look and open up your phones if you have them or old school Bibles, right, with, that are all tattered and write the letters in red and all that. Maybe you have that too, but whatever you read the Bible. Um, I'm reading from Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. That's probably, Joe, it's online, isn't it? It is online. That's right. I clicked on that link on the website, and it's there. Okay. So from the NIV, so therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what will be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So in my circles, and I suspect uh, for some of you, or many of you as well, uh, greatness is something that is discussed. Who's the greatest athlete in a given sport? Serena Williams has a claim, I think, to make in the discussion, the greatest to ever play tennis. There's a big three on the man's side as well. Right? But I think Serena should be part of that conversation. Uh, apparently, uh, there's no argument when it comes to man's ice hockey. If you have questions, talk to Bob Stockton in particular. He and I had this conversation recently. He can tell you all about it. He really, really. And Bob's a great storyteller, for those of you who know. Um, who's the greatest American author of the 20, 20th century? Ah, that's a big debate, right? And so I, I don't really have any answers here. I, I could throw some names out. But anyway, right, you all could, you could think about that, right? So on and so forth. Who's the greatest? So I really enjoy watching movies, <laughs> so much so uh, that I'll watch the same one over and over and over again. In fact, when I was in sixth grade, um, we had the VHS, okay, so you younger people, videotape, okay, before on-demand streaming, uh, of The Lion King. And I love Lion King. And in fact, every day in sixth grade, I will watch that movie from beginning to end, to the point where I could quote, like, the entire, the entire movie. That's just, just one example, okay. So um, oftentimes, even today, my family will, will look at me, I think at times, and I appreciate that, with a look of bemusement, right, as I go on and on, about whatever quote is on my mind at a given time, and, and it, it, it varies, okay? Um, one of my favorite movies uh, is, is the original uh, Coming to America. When they, oh, here we go, okay, my audience, see? Look at that, all right. When they're in the barbershop talking about the, the greatest boxer of all time. So you all can find it on YouTube uh, and listen to it when little ones are not around because colorful language is, is used throughout, okay? Just afraid, and if you don't like cuss words, then don't listen to it, but um, I, I'm, I'm gonna admit that in church, look at that, brother Simpson. In church, I'm admitting I watched Coming to America, but y'all laugh, so I'm in, I'm in a good space, aren't I? Y'all are gonna kick me out. Okay, so um, ha having grown up going to black-owned and operated uh, barbershops, <laughs> I appreciate how the film portrays the conversation in this black-owned barbershop about who's the greatest of all time. Um, and, and I thought about like what that might look like if the first hearers of the book of Hebrews, okay, uh, thought about who's the greatest leader in the history of Israel. 
You might have some arguing that Abraham, right? You got to mention Abraham. He has to be considered. Uh, he believed he would be the father of a nation uh, despite being childless at an advanced age. And not to mention how far he was willing to go to obey God, right, in terms of what God commanded of him uh, uh, in sacrificing his son and, and how that points to the future when God himself would, would be that, that sacrificial lamb. Okay, that's one argument, okay? Well, how about David? All right, and so somebody says, well, how about David? And again, if you all have seen Coming to America, you know I'm getting that. It, it, just think about people around each other having a conversation. Any hair care establishment where things are debated, okay? Let me generalize that a little bit. Um, what about David? All right, yet the book of Psalms would be much smaller if not for David. Uh, he triumphs over, over Goliath, all right? He goes from being a shepherd to a king. Right? He has a case to be made, okay? Uh, I imagine someone mentioning some of the matriarchs of our faith such as Deborah or Miriam. Deborah is a judge. Miriam is a key leader uh, as the people of Israel move from slavery towards freedom. And then I imagine someone, probably an older person, an old black man in terms of my context of the, of the barbershop, saying, what, 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 what about Moses? It's kind of like that. And again, you know, nobody, that's my old, I gotta work my old black man impersonation. Come on, y'all killing me. I'm gonna go home and work on it, okay? Hey, y'all, okay. Well, what, thanks, John, that's all right, man. I, I, what about Moses? I'll use my normal voice, okay? But what about Moses, okay? Um, you know, you have the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, burning bush, tabernacle, enough said, right? Enough as in N-U-F-F with an apostrophe before the end, right? It's done. Case closed. Um, I suppose the point I want to make here is that when we say Jesus, or when, we, when, the, when the passage says that Jesus is greater than Moses, okay, we're talking about someone who the audience would know. And whether Moses is the goat, as in the greatest of all time, of leaders or not, all right, he's known, and the very mention of his name will be something that brings lots of associations to readers. They'll know the story of Moses. They'll understand the claim that's being made here. So there are a few, things, a few um, verses I'd like to cross-reference just to give us a, a sense of, of Moses' life and why it's so important that the author is saying that Jesus is, in fact, greater than Moses, okay? And so uh, there are a few passages I'd like to highlight here. Uh, one, verse 2, cross-reference with Numbers 12, 7, all right? So for a little context here, in Numbers 12, this is where we have uh, Moses' siblings gossiping about him behind his back, questioning his leadership, okay? Uh, and, and there are a couple of things I'd like to highlight, you know, from that particular chapter, that, that are related to, to what we're talking about today, okay? Uh, so Numbers 12 reads, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Okay, humility. Uh, and in, in verses 6 through 8 in that chapter read, He said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So what we see in Numbers 12, that's germane for today, okay, is that Moses is humble and he's a leader distinct from others, okay, in terms of how God engages with and also his faithfulness is highlighted. I want to make sure I stay in the vision of this camera. I'm, I'm, I'm walking around here. Let me stay 
Okay, I'll come back. I'll always come back home. Um, okay, let's move to another cross-reference, this time in verse 5, uh, which again highlights Moses' faithfulness. Uh, the specific cross-reference verse is, is Exodus 14, 31. So this is a chapter that tells the story of the parting of the Red Sea, Israel's escape from, from slavery, okay, and how God delivers them. Uh, so so I, I actually want to pick up uh, at verse 23, and I think you'll see why. Uh, or I hope you see why by the time uh, I'm done reading from reading. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. All. It's a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of horses and chariots. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over, over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. I'm going to say it again. Sorry, this just kind of hit me as I'm saying this in real time. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So this has to be one of the mountaintop, experience, uh, mountaintop moments, I should say, of Moses' life, right? To be the vessel through which God works to deliver your people? Wow. One more cross-reference, connecting Hebrews to Deuteronomy. So here, uh, we are at the end of Moses' life. Uh, and specifically, we're in chapter 34. Uh, and we're going to start with verse 5 and go into the end of the chapter. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Second time we've seen that mentioned here in these cross-reference verses. Who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, 
to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. So notice the language used. Uh, this is clearly an outstanding person, a vessel through which God moved. It tells the story of Moses' life, explaining his greatness as a leader of the people of Israel. All right, good people. Uh, what I'm trying to say here <clears throat> is that in, in, even in these right, six verses, and I've only highlighted three that cross-reference uh, other books in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, we see Hebrews being connected to at least three of these books. And these are the books where we actually learn a lot about the life of Moses. So the readers will have picked up on this and understood what the preacher was trying to do. And it's worth noting, okay, that the goal is not to disparage Moses, okay, but instead to uplift Jesus. If you think Moses is great, then wait until you consider Jesus. I'm in another section of the scripture here, so I'm going to take a sip of water. Dramatic effect, right? <laughs> ah, good water. All right. So I want to talk a little bit now about uh, this idea of building. God is the builder. We as buildings. Um, the role of Jesus in all of this, okay? Uh, and so we see here that Jesus is given uh, an elevated position, that he holds an elevated position over, over Moses, okay? As the son of God, he has greater authority than even Moses, a servant of God. Uh, the point that's interesting to me is that Moses, in the role of servant, oversaw the building of the tabernacle, okay, the very place where, where the presence of God dwelt. So in other words, you know, when we're talking about builders and houses, okay, I think we must consider that Moses himself played a role in, in, in the building of holy spaces. So it, it's a really powerful point, a really, really powerful claim here, argument, so to speak, a comparison being made here. When we're saying that Jesus is greater than Moses in the context of buildings and dwelling places of God. Something else worth considering is that uh, the high priest is mentioned, okay? And so uh, that was the role played by Moses' brother Aaron. And one of the roles of the high priest is to intercede on behalf of the people, okay? Uh, and, and so Jesus does that for us, uh, stepping in on our behalf to restore our relationship with God. So uh, in other words, Jesus, unlike Moses, is a high priest, Okay, again, holds an elevated position over, over Moses. So Jesus has uh, authority and power, okay, that, that exceeds that of, of Moses. So in preparing for today, I also uh, consulted what experts had to say about this passage. And, and so what I'd actually like to do is, is quote from, uh, from a commentary. Dramatically, the preacher has reminded the congregation that they are the very household of faith, built by God through and for Christ. A community of faith in which Moses and all those things symbolized by Moses function as servants. Moses was a part of this house and worked as a faithful servant in this house. But they are this house. When God and Christ built the house, what was being built was them. The household of faith 
And Jesus, the son, lives at home with them as their brother. Suddenly it dawns on the congregation that the preacher is not only speaking of Moses in order to magnify Jesus, but he's also speaking of Jesus in order to magnify them. The congregation. They are the very house of God, governed, sheltered, and protected by Jesus, the Son. So I normally don't like to quote at length from like other people, but I feel like uh, old Thomas Long, all right, page 51, I want to give, give Long credit here, okay, um, from a commentary on teaching and preaching. I think it's important that, that we get all of that. Right? I could try to summarize some of it, but I think reading it in its entirety, I found it to be helpful, and I hope you find it somewhat useful too, okay? Um, so a couple of things to highlight here. Uh, first of all, the house, okay, the, the building, it's plural. It's referring to the church. It's referring to a community of believers. So when I read this, I initially was thinking of the house as singular. And I think a lot of that is because in our Western society, it's very individualistic. It's easy to think about you know, us as individuals. Um, and think about our faith and our faith convictions and our lives from the, from the perspective of individuals and not so much from a perspective of, of community. So I found that to be really powerful and really interesting. And so I, I wanted to share that with, with, uh, with you all. A second thing I really was struck by is that this passage is meant to elevate us, to uplift us. That our relationship with Jesus should give us hope because he is the son, he is Lord, he reigns over this house. If we recall, right, that the people are experiencing distress, duress, persecution. And it's not a good time for the people who are reading this message. And so it's hopeful for them to realize, oh, wait, like Jesus is the one that governs and shelters and protects us. There's one other part uh, of this passage that I admit uh, people I've been wrestling with, and I'm still wrestling with it, okay? Um, and it has to, do, has to do with this idea of what should be true of us, the community, given that we are the house. And so the claim that's made here is that we ought to exhibit confidence and pride, and somehow these two things should be tied to hope. So the same expert Long um, says that the confidence really has to do with our speech, okay, what we say, how we talk. And that pride can be understood as boasting. So, I, in fact, my glasses keep bugging me. I need, they keep slipping down. I feel like I'm like older than what I am. I need to kind of look under my glasses like that. I don't want to quite do this to y'all. Have y'all look at me like this. <laughs> Bring back memories of librarians that were mean, right? But, um, so let me just kind of take them off for a second. So, I, I'm not going to lie to y'all. Um, wait, boasting? In, in like Christian faith? I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me. I'm having a hard time kind of making sense of that, right? Like how, how do you reconcile like this idea of having hope in Jesus and like in boasting and, and having, you know, having pride and, and so forth? Um, but the idea here is that it, it's, it's speech that's, that's not rooted in arrogance, okay? 
but instead in the hope that we have in Christ. So I find it to be a tricky application, okay? Um, and it's in part because I've seen people um, boasting in Christ, and I've experienced it in a way that I've, I find to be really um, off-putting and insensitive. I won't give too many examples here, um, but I have. And so I really struggle with this idea, what, what do you mean boasting in, in our hope that we have in Christ? Like, what does that even mean? Um, but one thought I have about this is that if, um, if it's about telling our own story, again, maybe this is where it goes back to an individualistic perspective. I think there's something here, so bear with me. If we have the opportunity to talk about how we've been shaped by the gospel, if we have an opportunity to talk about how we've been shaped by, by Jesus, and people ask us about that, ask us about like, how we came to be where we are or come to live the lives that we live, that we have an opportunity to then share, right, what's true about how Jesus has shaped our lives. And so that if those opportunities come our way and we boast in the sense of like the hope that we have and who Christ is, I think that's different than if we sort of boast in a different kind of way. We don't have to be forceful about the boasting, that's my point. Something else that this expert mentioned I think, is, uh, uh, I think is really important and worth sharing is that like when we speak, and if we speak out on things that maybe aren't as, as popular or something, right, uh, or, that, or that not popular, but how we have confidence in our speech, right, how our speech can be tied to hope. Let me just read what I wrote. Ho hopefully that's clear. <laughs> um, if you think about why one might, one might make the argument, a person, a Christian might argue why it's important to care for the environment, you can make this, uh, make this point that, hey, the, the earth is not ours. The earth belongs to God. I guess I could tell you the specific passage. You all can look it up. And if not, we can talk afterwards. We can, right, we can help you find it on Bible Gateway or wherever you use, right? But it's in the Bible, all right, that the earth belongs to God. And so if we see ourselves as stewards and not as owners, then maybe we engage with the environment in a different kind of way, right? So I think to me, like, that, that's just one example, right, of you might find yourself in many different contexts, right, in terms of talking about who owns what, right? And all these arguments about property and owners, right? So this idea of steward is not one I think that is, is necessarily pervasive in American society. <laughs> so anyway, if we, if we root our, our concerns about the environment in scripture, that I think maybe that's what that's talking about, right? That there's something about speaking out. Um, it, might, it might be relevant. All right, I wish I could see better. I should have used like 20 font on this. I've recently been reading like large print books from the library and it's amazing, like my eyes are so much better, but I can't read this without my glasses. So just, I'm gonna see if I can bring us home here. Um, I guess my point is this, just, just to make a, a more, <laughs> more a clearer point, to bring it back, right? This idea of boasting that's rooted in hope and boasting about the one who gives us hope. Something to think about. All right, so this passage talks about Jesus is greater than Moses. Uh, the readers will remember, because we keep in mind, right, they're, they're very familiar with the story of the Old Testament. They'll remember what God did for the people of Israel and, and how Moses was used, all right, the role that Moses played. I think about Passover, right, and for our, uh, for our Jewish brothers and sisters. It's all about remembering that, about how God delivered 
the Israelites from, from Egypt. Okay? If we think about Jesus as a sacrifice, the Lamb of God, right, that reconciles us to God. Jesus is, is the one whose who's broken body provides restoration and provides deliverance in a way that exceeds even what, what Moses did. So for followers of Jesus experiencing difficult times, so for us in the room today, okay, it may be remembering how God has worked in our lives. Remembering when we've seen and experienced the light of Christ. So something that Allison said a few weeks ago, she mentioned that. And so I want to I want to bring that back. I, I've been thinking about, you know, when she said that for a while now. Once we've seen and experienced the light of Christ, how that shaped us. And so I know for me, when I think about experiencing difficult times, think about the challenges that life throws our way. Um, how this very community has provided support for me and provided support for my family. How people of faith walked alongside us in um, an incredibly difficult time. So I understand how it could seem laughable, ridiculous, to believe in, in this idea of hope and that things could be better. Especially when things are difficult in times of turmoil. And yet I can attest to the fact that hope remains. This community of faith was, was, was a tangible example of that. I've also been thinking about community and how our community was, shift, uh, was shaped by the pandemic, okay? And so for those of us who, again, that's still kind of too close to me to spend too much time, like, oh, back in the day, I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever be like, oh, back in the day, we had, you know, we had, we'd buy all that toilet paper before it disappeared from Sam's or Costco, whatever. I know I'm sure y'all are divided, aren't we? A house divided. Or you Sam's or Costco, right? You had to buy up that paper because it disappeared. I'm not ready to go there yet. I don't know if I ever will be, right? But, but back to my notes here, right? For those of us who lived through 2020 and 2021. I think we have, uh, uh, I, uh, we have an appreciation for this idea that the church is not confined to a building. I think I would have like, understood it like, from an, uh, intellectually like prior to March of 2020, but now I've experienced it. <laughs> not just me, right? You know, amen. Yes, we all have. I'm not going to spend too much time going back there. Like I said, it hasn't been enough time yet. But yeah, the idea that the, the, the church is not a building, right? It's a community of believers. And it's dynamic, too. That's a whole other thing, that just to keep in mind. All right, last paragraph. What we can see in this, in this, this message, in this passage here, I should say, um, is the heart of the preacher, right? This is, you could, I mean, it's just real concern for the people. Um, and I know, I think it really kind of shines through here. This idea of telling this house, telling this community of believers, right? to remain hopeful, to remind them of what, what Christ has done for them. 
And I think communities are really important. Oh, oh community, sorry. I saw CEO. Communion, that's the, that's the cue there, Brother Simmons. Communion is actually a way for us to do that. To remember what Jesus has done and how that transforms us as individuals and in turn it shapes us as a community. Go, let's give Chris another hand for leading us in the word today. I love the way that Chris brought forth just the, the way that Hebrews calls on the memory of these believers, pulling through the history of Israel. And as, as Chris was preparing and, and sharing that journey with me, one of the things that, that struck me is this moment that we see in the Gospels where Jesus is on the mountain with his inner circle. And there appears with him Moses and Elijah, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so as these believers who are in, in the, the first century after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I wonder if in their mind, this conversation about Moses just triggers that, that story. Remember when the disciples, they said that they saw Moses with Jesus? How did that happen again? But the beauty of the connection and how they're the greatest in their minds, Moses, through whom the law comes, Elijah, one of the greatest of the prophets, they show up for the disciples to see them pointing to Jesus. In holy conference with Jesus, we hear the voice of God say, This is my son, my beloved, and he has come for us. Jesus has come for us on display for the disciples who were a band of folks walking around with no shelter over their head, no place to lay their head. They didn't know where they were going. And so as they connect with the wandering in the wilderness, Jesus showing them the way step by step. They may not have even known it as they were taking those steps. He does the same with us. As we take steps in line with Jesus, he is showing us the way to life. Victory over the law of sin and death that we might have the fullness of life. And we imagine we actually connect with the disciples to those same disciples who saw Jesus in holy conference with Moses and Elijah. Those same disciples who were with him on the night that he was arrested. The night that he would be taken 
to a false trial, to then ultimately be hung on a cross. The feelings of despair and the weight of all of the sin in the world poured out on him. That's your sin. That's my sin. He took it for us that we can have the fullness of life. A part of Moses' story we often forget is that he didn't get to enter the promised land. But Jesus came to build that bridge so that Moses, so that all of us could find our way into that promised land. So as we come to the table today, we're reminded that Jesus invites each and every one of us into that journey. That journey into victory over sin and death. That we can have the fullness of life and have it abundantly. So as we receive the bread, receive the cup, let our hearts be open today for God to meet us where we are on this journey. No matter where you are coming from or what you have been through, friends, you are invited into this. Jesus himself invites you to his table. So this morning as we come, we're going to actually come down this aisle to your left. And Pixie and Tiana are ready to serve you. Take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. You can receive it there. You can take it back to your seat. But just let your heart be open for the Lord to meet you where you are today. Friends, we invite you to come to the table.